Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of August 6, 2023. First, we want to apologize to our listeners for the weeks we've missed in bringing you the Sound Prince magazine. We've had several technical problems, which we hope are now resolved. Hopefully, all editions of the program, including the ACB Media broadcasts, the podcasts, the magazine on CD, and on the Fillmore line, will all reach you in your preferred format this week. Thanks for your patience. Here are some events coming up in the next few weeks. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind holds its social hour each Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern, on its Zoom line. Some weeks there's a speaker. Other weeks there's open discussion. Join the call by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 763-689-4411. The Eastern Kentucky Christian Council of the Blind will hold its summer picnic in the park on Saturday, August 19, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Douthat Park on North Point Avenue in Jackson, Kentucky. Transportation to the picnic will be available from MCAP. For more information about the picnic and transportation, call Ronnie Patrick, President of EKCCB, at 606 671-0226. The following calls are all on the KCB Zoom line. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 862-9889-6972. In-person events will be at United Crescent Hill Ministries. The address is 150 South State Street in Louisville. The KCB Next Generation will hold its August business meeting on Thursday, August 10, at 8 p.m. on the Zoom line. Anyone age 40 or under is urged to attend, and others interested in Next Generation are welcome as well. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Virtual Roundabout is happening on the KCB Zoom line on Friday, August 11, from 7 to 9 Eastern. Watch the KCB events list for the topic of the week. The GLCB August board meeting will be at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning, August 12, on Zoom. The meeting is open and all are welcome. The next in-person low vision support group will be at United Crescent Hill Ministries on Monday, August 14, from 1 to 2.30 p.m., Come ready to ask questions and share tips, successes, and frustrations as you move along on your low vision journey. There will also be a virtual low vision support group meeting on Wednesday, August 16 at 8 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Both the Monday and the Wednesday groups are sponsored by the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, and all are welcome to participate. GLCB invites you to come play bingo at the August 18 roundabout. This is a hybrid event. We'll have dinner at 5 o'clock. After dinner, we'll join the Zoom line for bingo. 
Be sure to call us in advance to let us know you are coming to dinner and if you would like a carryout. The number is 502-895-4598. The Tri-State Library users will have its book club and business meeting on Saturday, August 19 at 11 a.m. on the Zoom line. This month we are reading Lord of the Flies, available from both Bard and Bookshare. We hope you'll be there to discuss the book and then help plan upcoming library-related activities. The American Council of the Blind elected officers and other positions at its 2023 convention in Schaumburg, Illinois. Officers elected to serve from 2023 to 2025 are President Deb Cook-Lewis, first term from Clarkston, Washington. First Vice President David Trott, first term from Talladega, Alabama. Second Vice President Ray Campbell, second term from Springfield, Illinois. Secretary Denise Colley, third term from Richmond, Texas. And Treasurer Michael Garrett, first term from Missouri City, Texas. Katie Frederick of Columbus, Ohio, had previously announced that she would not be seeking another term as chair of the Board of Publications, and Deb Cook-Lewis announced that she was appointing Penny Reader of Montgomery Village, Maryland, to that position. That meant that an elected seat on the BOP needed to be filled. Jeff Bishop of Arizona, currently a director on the ACB board, ran for that seat and was elected. Finally, Jeff's director seat needed to be filled by an election from the floor, and Cecily Nipper from Georgia was chosen to serve in that seat until the 2024 election in Jacksonville. Finally, we are sad to report the passing of Dr. Ron Milliman from Bowling Green. Ron passed away this week from pancreatic cancer. On June 24, during the virtual week of the ACB convention, ACB families held its annual virtual campfire on Zoom. Go to camp with us on page 2. Sit around the campfire as Paula Edwards shares some very scary stories. Enjoy wonderful Native American stories about frog and coyote as told by Deanna Quietwater Noriega. Songs were provided by Deanna Scoggins, and everyone shared stories of good camp food. Go to camp with ACB families. It's a great summertime activity. Listen to Sound Prints each week for updates of news and information from around the blind community. Our broadcast times are Sunday at 8 p.m., Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., Wednesday at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., Thursday at 10 p.m., and Friday at 1 a.m., 10 a.m., and 1 p.m. Listen on your Victor Reader stream on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org or listen anytime 24 hours a day on the KCB information line by calling 773-572-6318. For more information about Soundprints and to request a free subscription on CD, 
playable on any standard CD player, call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. Page 2. Welcome to ACB Families Goes to Camp. We hope that you're here to have a good time this evening because that what that is certainly what we want to have happen and I want to thank everybody for coming. Uh, we'll be participating in our annual ACB Families Campfire and we have some fun things planned for you tonight but we also are going to be inviting you to share some of your uh, memories or thoughts as we go along. So again, welcome. We uh, we hope that you all will enjoy this and just a couple of things at the beginning. want to remind you that uh, ACB Families is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind and we are always looking for new members, new people to be part of our activities. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm president of ACB Families and we would very much welcome you uh, to participate in our programs. We meet the first Sunday and the third Sunday of each month and uh, on Zoom. And we have a list. We invite you to join that so you know what's going on. And you can do that by sending a message to families plus sign subscribe at acblist.org. That's families plus subscribe at acblist.org. With that, we're going to move into our program. We're going to have um, Paul Edwards is one of our storytellers. Deanna Quietwater Noriega is another one of our storytellers. And I'm sure that both of them are really going to entertain us tonight. I can't wait to hear what they're going to be sharing with us. And we're going to have some campfire music led by Deanna Scoggins. And unfortunately, we all can't sing along and play guitars uh, on Zoom, but I'm sure it will be fun. Um, if we have time, I have a couple of camp uh, recipes that you might enjoy, might be, bring back some memories of camp food, and be thinking about your camp stories and um, maybe some of the foods that you enjoyed at camp. We can't very well do some of those in our kitchen, so um, we can have some fun with this tonight. Um, I think, why don't we ask Deanna to begin, Deanna Scoggins, to begin with an opening song. So, Deanna, you're up first. I'm just going to start out with this little simple um, hello song. And I can't play guitar because I hurt my finger. But in the modern era of camping, we could take battery keyboards with us. But anyway, so here's the hello song. Hello, 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 hello. We are glad to meet you. We are glad to greet you. Hello, 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 hello. And we're glad everybody's here. All right, thank you. And we are all glad we're here. So next, let's move to Deanna Noriega, share a story with us. And, and Deanna. <laughs> Yeah, we have to have a Deanna and Deanna show, right? Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say you can call me Quiet Water if you like. My okay. Ojibwe name is pronounced Shani Gamokwe, which we translate as Quiet Water. But my great grandmother, who named me, 
said that it actually means a day when the sun is shining and it's beautiful and calm on the Great Lakes and it's so peaceful you can go out to fish in a birch bark canoe. So <laughs> that's a long thing to have to say. So quiet water was <laughs> the, uh, the English translation that was chosen. The first story I want to share with you is called The Frog People's Choir. And I wrote this when I was joining a new church and I was asked to go talk to the children in the Sunday school about my guide dog and about my life and, and the business I was running at the time and all of that sort of thing. So I decided that I would write a story just for that group and it's since appeared in um, Behind Our Eyes, the first anthology, which is available from Bard, from Bard in an audio version, and there's also a Braille version. So here we go with the Frog People's Choir. White buffalo calf wandered alone at the edge of the herd. Grandmother Spider saw his loneliness. She paused in her spinning to ask gently, Child, why aren't you playing with the other young folk of your kind? He answered, The others say I can't play with them because my coat is not the same as theirs, Grandmother. Bring them here and I will tell them a story, she instructed. This is the story she told. It was in the early summer when Big Green Bullfrog was appointed the director of the choir in a beautiful pond in a high mountain valley. He had a rich, deep bass voice, and all agreed that he should call the young folk together for tryouts to join the choir. These were the young frogs who had just acquired legs and left their baby tadpole tails behind. Their voices were high and sweet. Most of them were vivid green, and their skins glistened emerald and jade in the sun. Some, though, had speckles of brown. He decided that such spotted ones would spoil the look of the great frog choir. In his deep bullfrog voice, he demanded they leave and take their ugly spots elsewhere. Only those who shone with beautiful green skins like his own could sing in his choir. Sadly, the spotted frogs plunked into the pond and swam off. Wise old turtle watched the unhappy young ones gather on the far side of the pond on a large moss-covered ledge. She did not think them ugly. Were they not as the maker of all things had made them? Crane moved silently along the shore, thinking how delicious fresh young frogs tasted. Against the light browns of the sandy bank, the bright green frogs were easy to see. With a snap of her bill, there were half a dozen fewer potential members for Big Green Bullfrog's choir. Everyone else jumped back into the water with a splash. The next day, Big Green Bullfrog decided that he would test the young voices in the shade of some green rushes and ferns further from the edge of the pond. His new choir members would not stand out so brightly against lush green foliage. He was pleased with their sweet young voices, but before they had time to really warm up, snakes slipped between the stems 
and gulp down more small green frogs from the soprano section. The choir fled to the safety of the pond once more. Big green bullfrog was very angry. How can I have any kind of a choir if I don't have enough high voices, he cried. What about those little frogs with the lovely brown speckles, asked wise old turtle. Last night I heard them singing by themselves across the pond. They have sweet voices, and I think the maker of all things put such pretty marks on them to make it harder for Crane to find them when they sit on mossy stones. You only looked at how they were made differently from you and never even listened to them sing. Big Green Bullfrog was ashamed. He could see now that the great mystery in his wisdom had marked these young frogs as they should be. Green frogs were harder to see on green lily pads. Brown-spotted ones could sit on mossy speckled rocks, and both would be safer from the sharp eyes of Crane, though there, though some were green and some were spotted, all could sing sweetly in praise of the Maker's gift of life, as frog people have loved to do throughout all time. We cannot always tell why the Creator of all things chooses to make one of His children differently than another. But we can be sure he has his reasons. Grandmother by Spider finished her story. So that's my first story for you tonight. All right. That was wonderful, Deanna. Fantastic. Okay. So the stories that, that I am going to do are at the other end of the spectrum from Deanna's very, very gentle, pretty story. Part of the characteristics, or at least one of the characteristics of campfires, are short little stories that are intended to be kind of scary for people who are on the campfire. <laughs> and uh, that's what this one is. So a young girl's parents were going out for the night. Although she was still young, the young girl thought she was too old for a babysitter. She begged to be allowed to stay home alone, even though her parents were going to be out very late. She promises to go to bed at a regular bedtime and calls her parents on her cell phone just before she settles down for the night to tell them, I'm fine, and not to wake her when they come home. She'll see them in the morning. She's almost asleep when she hears dripping noises. She gets up to see if it's raining outside, but the stars and moon are shining brightly. She goes back to bed, and as she closes her eyes, she hears the dripping noise again. Her hand is hanging out of bed, and she takes comfort when she feels a wet tongue lick it. Knowing their dog is under her bed provides comfort, but 
the dripping noise continues, and she finally decides she must know what it is. So the young girl goes out in the hall and gets softer, and she goes into the bathroom, but it's not one of the faucets, and the toilet's not running. She comes back into her room, she hears it even more, and she's getting more and more uncomfortable. Turns on the light and looks around. The noise continues, and she keeps looking for the source. Well, eventually she decides that she ought to look in the closet. There hangs her dog, dripping blood, with a note that says, Humans lick too. So that's oh, the end of my first a, story. That is a spooky story. <laughs> Goodness. All right. Uh, would you like to share another one with us? I I, I certainly can. All right. Go ahead. Uh, this, one's, this one's called Do Not Visit Lepers Lane. A young couple went to the movies and stopped at the local lover's lane for some kissing after the movie was over. The boy turned on the radio to set the mood. Just as he reaches his arms around his girlfriend, a news bulletin warns of an escaped murderer who has a hook for a right hand. The man had escaped from a facility for the criminally insane. The boy thinks it'll be funny to tease his girlfriend to scare her. So he begins to tell her he is sure they're in a place the escapee might choose to visit. He goes on and on, terrifying his girlfriend, telling her how tall the guy is and all of the crimes that he's committed. And eventually, uh, he just goes over the top. She hoped he'd throw herself into his arms for comfort. However, his plan backfires. His girlfriend insists they leave right away. Reluctantly, the boy drives his girlfriend home. When she gets out, she screams and faints. The young man jumps out and runs around the car. There, on her door handle, is a bloody All right. Thank you, Paula. Not, not quite as bad, but still pretty no. icky. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Um, let's ask if anyone else has a campfire story they would like to share. If you do, would you please raise your hand and we'll recognize you. Think about stories that you might remember from when you went to camp and um maybe and how good the food was or oh, friends yes. that you met yeah yes well while we're thinking about our stories um i'll share one item i was looking for some things that might have made you know that that could be camp recipes or could be recipes for out of doors and um I ran across one that 
I had forgotten about. A lot of people on this call would probably say, oh, yes, uh, I remember that, definitely remember all of that. Um, but uh, there are just um, some things that, I mean, you, you know, once you once you find them, um, you think, oh, how could I have forgotten? Well, one of the things that they used to make all the time uh, at camp when we would go as Girl Scouts was, um, and I'll bet a lot of you remember this, remember when they would make um, a cake in an orange and everybody had their own um, their own cake? Did um, I think others may have done that? Um, it uh, they give each person has an orange, and um, what you need for the recipe is um, a box of white cake mix and all the ingredients that are called for on the box. So you're going to make up that um, that becomes um, that will make your cake in the orange. Each person has their own orange, and then you have some tubs of sour cream frosting. So the first thing they do is prepare the cake mix according to the direct the according to the directions, and you cut the tops off the oranges and then hollow them out inside, and um, and put your uh, fill your orange about two thirds to three fourths full with your cake batter. Wrap the orange up completely in tinfoil, and um, and then put the oranges in the hot part of the fire, and wait for about 20 minutes um, and turn it once. Now, if your fire isn't hot enough, that's not going to cook as well as it should. So you're kind of going to have to um, test that. When it's over, you remove it from the fire and allow it to cool. And then if you want, you can frost it. But, um, you know, it's it's good just to, just to uh, take a, a, a spoon and eat that cake right out, right out of that orange. Um, uh, if anyone else has, we all have enjoyed and loved s'mores, of course, um, but other things are good made um, in the, in, in the, around the fire as well. Um, another idea is to um, take a, um, use a can of pie filling, whatever kind of pie filling you really like, um, either a cherry or apple or peach, and use um, a box of white cake mix, and just pour the pie filling in the bottom of a Dutch oven, and put the dry cake mix over the top, and um, cover the Dutch oven, and put it in the coals of a fire, and it's going to um, just let it get hot, uh, take about 15 or 20 minutes, and then um, you've got some good um, campfire cobbler. So um, I would like to invite people to share um, the things they like to eat around the campfire, whether it was something that got cooked or just something that you packed and took along. Um, and uh, so if you have some things to share, you can raise your hand, or if you've thought of a story you'd like to share, um, let's raise, have people raise hands and see if there's anything anyone would like to share with Camp, with camp Memories. Yes, we have several raised hands now. So first up, we have Linda Yax, followed by Jamaica Miller. 
Okay, Linda. Thank you. Go first. I, I, I fall in Deanna and Carla and everybody. I thought this is not a campfire story, but it is a camp memory. Um, to, for a church camp that I went to one time, and <clears throat> we were supposed to be good little boys and girls and keep our elbows off the table. And I was actually there in an adult capacity. I was a teacher, and they caught me one day. And this is what happens when you put your elbows on the table. Linda, Linda, strong and able, get your elbows off the table. This is not a horse's stable, but a respectable dining room table. Kiss the deer, kiss the deer, kiss the deer. And then we had to go kiss this deer head that was on the wall. I, and, and I tried so hard to keep my elbows off the table. You know, it's hard to do, even when you're an adult. So that was kind of fun. Uh, something we did cook in campfires when we would go fishing. Um, my family used to go fishing a lot. And we would take these, they called them pie irons. And you would uh, take a piece of bread and kind of butter the outside of it a little bit, lay it in the bottom of the pie iron, put pie filling in it, put the other slice of bread on, snap that shut, and put that in your fire and bake it. And, oh, my goodness, were those good. So that's my um, campfire thoughts. Thank you. Next up, we have Jamaica, followed by uh, Pam Coffee. My my recipe is a recipe that is actually, that was made at camp, and it was called haystacks, where you put um, lettuce and tomato and meat on top of chips, and it was, it was very, very good. It was very good. That was my favorite uh, part of the camp when I went to, when I used to go to camp, they used to have that as part of the week's menus, so I really enjoyed that. So that's mine. Good. That's mine. Okay. Sounds yummy. Who's next? Next up is Pam Coffee, followed by Jeanette Kutash. Hi. Um, I'm going to share two really, really fast. One is something we cooked over a campfire. Uh, but first, I'm going to tell quickly about the first summer I went to camp. And this was a camp that was set up. Half of us were um, blind, visually impaired, what have you. The others were from local scout troops, and uh, they were the um, partners, you know, the sighted guides, the what have you. And so uh, we were supposed, the first, the first year, uh, we were at a camp, site that actually had a kitchen with a stove, a fridge, all that sort of stuff. And we were supposed, well, the kitchen crew was supposed to be able to cook on a regular stove. There was just one small problem. For whatever reason, uh, the stove decided not to work. They had to cook everything, including pancakes, scrambled eggs, the, the like, everything on a grill outside. Uh, it actually worked. They did a really good job. Now, the thing that we did over a campfire, and I think this was the third year, third and final year I went to that camp, uh, we called them hobo packs or hobo meals. 
you take a a raw beef patty, hamburger patty, put it in the center of a, a piece of aluminum foil. You slice a potato. You slice a carrot. You put a slice of onion and anything else you might want to add, squash, bell pepper, whatever. You put all of that in there, put a little bit of salt and pepper, wrap that thing up, plop it over the campfire. I don't remember how long we cooked it over a campfire. If you do them in the oven at home, you give them about an hour at 350. But the time we did it over the campfire, they were so good. It was just amazing. So that's those are my some of my camp memories. Yeah, and being outside in the open air when you're making something like that just makes it taste even better. So yeah, those are the great memories. Um, Jeanette Kutash, you are next, I think. Yes, and we have three more after that. All right. So when I went to camp, um, we did eggs and omelets in a bag. So you take a pot of water and you um, put it on the fire and bring it to a boil. And you take a Ziploc bag. Um, And we used to use freezer bags because they don't tend to melt. And in the bag, you put an egg. And then if you're doing omelets, anything you want. onions, peppers, cheese, some kind of meat. We used to do bacon and sausage. And you let it boil for about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on your fire. And then you take it out of the boiling water and let it cool for a moment and open it. And you have a very nice omelet. So that's my fondest camp cooking memory. Very good. Thank you. Who's next? Next up, we have Nora, followed by Betsy. Hi, everyone. Hi, good afternoon. And my memory of camping is the eating part. Uh, I I always enjoy uh, roasting the marshmallows and somebody will help me put the chocolate on it, and people do it for me, and put the marshmallows. First you roast them, and then put chocolate on it, and then put them in between the uh, two crackers, and make them like s'mores, and I always enjoy eating those. On the river rafting trip, I, I had peach cobbler, which is really good, and that was wonderful. Mm-mm. And I like hot dogs, and hamburgers, and potato salad, and... And uh, potato chips and wonderful things like that, and getting out God by a campfire at night. It's so nice and nice and cool, and it's warm in front, and then you're, you're cold on the back, cold on the back. And it was so much fun. I always enjoy campfire time and listening to stories and everything else. Thank you very much. Now we have Betsy followed by Teresa. Well, unfortunately, I've lost most of camp memories. I will say, though, that growing up in the foster family, we did 
<laughs> really camping because we were either in a tent or we were um, sleeping out under the stars, some of us in benches, some of us off and on in what they called, they were bread trailers and they were converted. But one of the highlights of cooking on the fire was that s'mores, of course, were the one thing, but the fun part, which we'd probably never be able to do today, is we would take sticks, actual sticks from trees, and we would compete who could get their mac, their marshmallows the blackest and eat them. And uh, we would also do the hot dogs that way, too, with those just regular tree sticks that Dad would cut down, and we would put those on the fire and, and eat them as hot as we could get them and as black as we could eat them. Betsy, I loved the marshmallows when, when they um, – I, I could see some. Just I could see when the marshmallow – um, started to burn, and and um, and so I would like to um, catch that just as it was on fire, blow it out, and then uh, you know it'd be all just kind of um, kind of thin, crusty on the outside, and all gooey inside. And boy, that was really good. So I th- I think we could probably have a whole time just on talking about how we liked how much we like to burn our marshmallows at camp. <laughs> so thank you. Teresa, you're next. I'm too. I love to get those marshmallows as black as they could be because they were crispy on the outside and mushy on the inside, and that's the way I liked them. And I liked the s'mores, you know, putting them on graham crackers, with, um, a Hershey bar, and another graham cracker on top, and that was delicious. Um, like Pam, um, I don't remember what we called it, but it was the, um, you know, the raw beef patty, the uh, slice of raw potato. Um, I don't remember. We did an on- I mean, a carrot, but we did a slice of onion. And I even think we had a slice of cheese, and of course, wrapped it up in a tin foil and you know, aluminum foil. And can't remember if we grilled it over an outside grill or if it, we baked it in the oven inside. It was a Girl Scout camp, and some of the facilities we went to did have a indoor kitchen, you know, with a sink and a stove. But um, we always enjoyed that, and um, like I said, the s'mores. Another dish we would have um, at, when we went Girl Scout camping was they called it squaw corn, and I'm not sure how that got its name, but there was corn, canned corn, and I guess like beefaroni or maybe um, just macaroni, macaroni and cheese, but it was mixed together, and some tomatoes, uh, cooked tomatoes, and it was called squall corn, and we enjoyed that. I also went to the, um, those um, Christian record camps. And of course, I guess um, if anyone knows, they're ran by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and they had their version of haystacks, except they didn't use meat. But they did use uh, Frito corn chips, baked beans, uh, minus the meat, of course, and uh, cheese and lettuce. And I think um, cut-up tomatoes were in it. So it wasn't too bad. And um, one of the songs we sang, um, I learned the song at one of the Seventh-day Adventist camps. I learned the song, Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God. All right. Thank you. Any more hands? Welcome. Adam? Yes. Uh, when I was in high school and, and a little later, uh, I attended a 
Easter Seal Camp in Kentucky uh, for the handicapped, and the, they would have a 13-day and 12-night long sessions. We would um, have three groups of boys ages 8, uh, eight to 12 and 12 to 16, and same, there would be uh, three girls' um, units with 8 to 12 and then 12, uh, 13, 16. But one of the things they would do a couple of times is they would have an all-camp um, night um, bonfire where everybody, all the different units uh, that normally worked on their own during the sessions, uh, they would have these all-camp night things. And they had a lake that was kind of down in a valley, and uh, they would build a raft out of logs, just rough logs or whatever they could put together quickly. And then on top of that, they would build a large bonfire. And they would let that float out into the lake, and then uh, we would all uh, do kind of what we're doing tonight with telling stories and singing songs and uh, being down in the valley when the singing would go on, uh, you'd get some echo effect and being outside it was really nice and sounded pretty. And uh, of course then they would end the session with uh, taps along with the words for taps. And uh, I always liked that. It was really a nice way to end the day. Okay. Thank you, Adam. Anyone else? Okay. We're going to have another story. And um, let's see. Paul, do you have another story for us? And then Dan will be ready. I do. All right. Go ahead. When my grandmother died, I was given the task of cleaning out her house in preparation for selling it. The second night I was staying in the house, I suddenly heard a faint rap, rap, rap sound somewhere in the house. I got up and searched for where the sound was coming from. In the hallway, it was louder, rap, rap. And seemed to be coming from downstairs. As, as I went downstairs, the sound became louder. Rap, rap, rap. I explored the entire downstairs, but couldn't find the source of the sound. It, it seemed to be coming from under the floor of the kitchen. The cellar? When I opened the door to the cellar, the sound was much louder. Rap, rap, rap. Although I was scared... I had to find the source of that rapping. The sound became louder as I descended the stairs. In the corner was an old trunk. Now I could tell the sound was coming from the trunk. I opened the lid very slowly, and there it was. A roll of wrapping paper. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um uh we're we're gonna we're gonna think about that a little bit. <laughs> and uh um so Dana, you can go next, please. <laughs> uh 
Okay, which one of us? Which one? <laughs> Do you like quiet no, water quiet or water. the music? We, we, we need Deanna, we need uh, quiet water to, to <laughs> get, a, get us back on track here. <laughs> okay. This story I wrote out when my brother was asked to um, appear as a medicine man in a um, retelling of how the buffalo came to the people for... Um, a public broadcasting um, production. So he needed to be able to tell a story to the children. And I had heard this story before, but this is my version of it because I turned it, of course, into a grandmother spider story, which I don't think in the original was, and I don't know the origin of the original story, which tribe used it as a teaching story. Okay, so this is... Coyote learns to sing. Spotted Pony Boy searched with the brush for his missing arrow. Moving further and further from the piece of bark, he had propped against a tree to use as a target. Grandfather Gray Elk had given him a strong, small bow and seven beautiful arrows. Ah, there it was, hiding amongst the sage. The last missing arrow had lodged at least five feet from the target. I'm no good at this. I will never be a good hunter, he wailed. Come here, little warrior, called a gentle voice. Sit on this warm stone and rest a bit, and I will tell you a story, promised Grandmother Spider. She began. One day, Coyote was wandering around. He heard a most wonderful sound. He ran down a hill. In the sheltered dip in the land, he found a small bird building his nest. What is that lovely sound? he asked. I was singing, answered Meadowlark. I want to do that, decided Coyote. Teach me to sing, he demanded. Meadowlark cocked his head in surprise. Well, when I'm happy, I just open my beak and the soul comes out, he faltered. Coyote thought that to himself, I can do that. So off he went to try out singing. He climbed back up the hill and sat down. He opened his mouth wide. Nothing happened. He became annoyed. He stomped back to where Meadow Lark was busily completing his nest. Coyote snatched the small bird up and growled, You didn't teach me right. Tell me how to sing. Oh, you're getting me all wet. Put me down and I will try to explain, begged Meadowlark. Um, I usually sing when I'm happy. Try thinking of something that makes you happy. Open your mouth and let the happiness flow out of you in sound instructed Meadowlark. I already thought, well, why didn't he say that the first time? I can do that. He marched off to the top of his hill. He sat down and thought about chasing jackrabbits across the prairie. He thought how good they tasted when he caught them in his strong jaws. He opened his mouth in a big coyote grin, huffed out some air, but still no song came out. 
Coyote was getting impatient now. He made up his mind that he would learn the secret of singing from that bird or know the reason why. He stormed back down the hill. He snatched Meadowlark from the edge of his nest and shook the poor little bird. He demanded, teach me to sing and be quick about it. Ouch, mind the feathers, cried the frightened bird. Okay, okay, you must think of something that makes you happy in a place that you love. You must feel such joy in your heart that it's as if you'll burst if you don't let it out. Then you take a huge breath, open your mouth, and allow that joy to flow out into the world as a song, he explained. Coyote hurried off to his hilltop. He sat down in the bright sun. He imagined his stomach full of good food. He thought about a lovely little coyote girl curled cozily against his side. He threw back his head, drew in a great breath, and opened his mouth. Nothing happened. No, he was truly angry. If a tiny bird could sing, surely someone as big, strong, and clever as he was could do it. That bird was obviously keeping his singing secret from him on purpose. He would show him that making a fool out of Coyote was a dangerous thing to do. This time, Meadowlark had flown up to gather some moss off a boulder to line his nest. He saw the angry coyote coming. Oh, dear, he's just too stupid to learn. I will put this small rock in my nest and hide, he thought to himself. Coyote reached the nest in a real fury. He shouted at the stone sitting in the nest, Teach me to sing or you'll be sorry. Little Rock said nothing. It's not in his nature to talk much. Coyote snatched up the stone and shook it. Teach me to sing, he demanded. Little Rock said nothing. He didn't know how to sing. If you don't teach me to sing, I'll bite you, he threatened. Of course, Little Rock said nothing. Coyote teeth did not frighten him. Coyote bit down on the stone. He broke a tooth, and it really hurt. He threw back his head and cried, I, 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 Coyote has been singing like that ever since. Spotted Pony laughed. Grandmother Spider said, Any new thing that is worth learning takes time and much practice. Only a foolish coyote would think it could be mastered at once. Don't give up so easily on your shooting. With enough practice, someday you will be a great hunter. Our fire burns low, and it is time to seek our warm blankets for rest. Sleep well and have only good dreams. So counsels Grandmother Spider. Great story, Deanna. Really good. All right. Um, do uh, Paul or Deanna? Do you all have another story? We have a time, maybe for one more. I do have another story. All right. 
two young girls, Maddie and Sue, were best friends who spent a great deal of time together. Maddie was spending the night at Sue's house when they decided to tell ghost stories. Maddie told the story she heard from her older brother about how if you stabbed a knife into a grave, the person buried there would reach out, grab you, and pull you into the grave. Sue didn't believe the story. Maddie agreed, but said she was afraid to try it, even if it was just a story. Sue would blame I'm not afraid. I'd try it. Maddie called Sue's bluff, daring her to go to the cemetery down the road and prove that she was not afraid. Both girls went to the kitchen downstairs where they found a flashlight and a knife. Maddie decided her dare was silly and and begged Sue not to go, but Sue wanted to prove the story was a hoax and that she was not afraid. Off she went into the dark night. Maddie sat at the kitchen table waiting for her friend. She sat and she sat and she sat. And 15 minutes passed and 20, half an hour. Finally, after 40 minutes, Maddie ran into her parents' bedroom woke them up, and told them what had happened. She cried in her mother's arms as her father grabbed a flashlight and headed towards the cemetery. When he returned, he was pale and shaken in a solemn voice. He told Maddie and her mother what he'd found there on a grave with Sue. Dead, with completely white hair. The police were called, and after listening to Maddie's explanation of why Sue was in the graveyard, the investigation determined the death was accidental. When Sue stabbed the knife into the grave, it went through the hem of her nightgown, thinking she'd been grabbed by the person buried there. She died of fright. All right. Thank you, Paul. Goodness. It's not going to invite me back. I can tell that. (laughs) Those those are really great camp stories. Well, I hope you all have enjoyed these um, stories. And our song, Deanna Scoggins, can you um, share another song? And then uh, we will have the ending of our campfire. We always close our Girl Scout uh, times with uh, with tap. So here it is. There's the gone the sun from the lake, from the hill, from the sky. All is well. Safely rest. God is not. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you, Quiet Water. Thank you, Paul. And thanks to everybody 
for coming to our campfire tonight. We hope you've had a good time, and we hope you'll come back and share another campfire with us next year at the convention in 2024. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.